We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we've done player previews for this upcoming season for all but one player. And so we're going to finish with the king, LeBron James. And I want to take a moment to just marvel at the fact that we're having this conversation about him as a superstar player in year 19. He enters this season 20th in NBA history in regular season games played, number one in postseason games. But beyond that, it's the level of play that really stands out. Like Darius, I think of the I think of players that were really, really good, really deep into their careers. Kareem, Carl Malone, Jordan was still very good with the Wizards in his late 30s. Kobe didn't quite have that chance. Uh, the Achilles really changed him as a player. But I would argue that nobody's been this deep into their career and still a superstar, still in the conversation as one of the best players in, in the league. What we're seeing is is something that's never been done before. So I just want to take a moment to just acknowledge that, right? And that kind of assumption that LeBron will forever be a superstar and that that is baked in to the calculus of when you talk about your upcoming season that in and of itself is just just incredible yeah and i think it's a combination of things for lebron right because you're absolutely right kareem is probably the closest comparable and if kareem had come into the league out of power memorial right right we'd probably be thinking of kareem the same way because he would have played 24 nba seasons and his scoring record probably would have been you know 10,000 points away from where LeBron is right now, rather than just a few thousand points. And it's why Kareem is under discussed as one of, to me, the greatest basketball player ever, right? He should be mentioned earlier in that conversation rather than clearly always behind LeBron and Jordan. But just had to give Kareem some props here, right? Um, Whenever you get the chance, please, please do. Yes. Right. But But you're right with LeBron, and I think it's especially true for someone who handles the ball as much as him. When you talk about Kareem, Mm, uh Kareem was a post player. When you talk about even Karl Malone, Karl Malone was 
um, pick and roll like, guy, like a pick and roll guy, and and like a traditional big man, mm-hmm. right? Now LeBron is built like a big man, but he is a perimeter based player, and normally those players rely more, even like they need even more physical advantage in order to get to their spots on the floor rather than always starting. I'm going to start my possession 12 feet from the basket or 10 feet from the basket. And then maybe through shooting ability, just score from, from 12 feet out. Right. Or I'm going to use other physical advantages to get within four feet. And then now I'm, six foot 10 or seven feet tall. And, and it's much easier for me. And, and so for a perimeter player, I would say, Mike, it's almost unprecedented basically for a player like LeBron to be playing this well as a primary ball handler type this late in, in to his career and be playing this many minutes while still being this efficient and this productive, right? Like there are guys who who played longer, maybe like a Stockton, right? And he was efficient until probably his very last year year in his career. But he was a twenty minute a game player, and not a guy who's expected to lead his team to a championship every season, like LeBron is entering year nineteen. So in twenty nineteen, at the start of that season in November, I. I wanted to put some of the LeBron stuff into context. So I just did a, a little gathering of some numbers and this again, two years ago. So before all of the minutes that have come since then, and he was already all the stuff you guys were just talking about. He was already basically at the top of the list at, uh, for what a player in their 17th season had been able to accomplish. So he was second in scoring. The only player that had averaged more was Kobe. Um, Kobe, Kobe had uh, 27.3. Uh, was his average that season. LeBron was at 25.6. His assists at that stage, 11.0, um, higher than anybody. Stockton was at 8.7. And Stockton's a guy who averaged, you know, damn near 13, 14 assists a couple times, it seemed like. Rebounds, he was ninth, uh, 7.4, with just like Shaq, Malone, Tyson Chandler, Parrish, and Duncan ahead of him. And then even even like steals and blocks, he's high on those lists. Three-pointers made, number one. At that age, 2.0 per game. Ray Allen was second at 1.8. And so this, this again, is two seasons ago. And has he had any noticeable drop-off? Uh, I, I don't think so, other than when he came back from the ankle, he clearly wasn't 100%. And so now what I'm most curious about is how do we see his level? Is it, at, is it where it was before the ankle got hurt and he was an MVP contender? Is there even a tiny bit of slippage? But, Pete, I can't, I can't forecast any kind of even reasonable – slippage knowing what i know about him just seeing him the fact that he's been working out uh, the way that his body is so i am not expecting a drop off uh, from last season and and if if i were it would be like one percent or two percent and therefore not something to be concerned about yet and that is that's the thing that i'm it's gonna have to be shown to me the other way to change my mind and so the question is how does he do it right like the, the only thing where i'm a little worried is are there any any remnants of that high ankle sprain that's not like an acl or an achilles but it's not a minor injury either so that, that's the one place where like is there any vestige of that going into the season but how does he do it how does he maintain this high level of play and part of that is i think there are four main pillars that that's built off of is first and foremost it's his health and the way that he 
protects his body and that he makes sure that he is in the physical condition to be able to do that. That is not my area of expertise, and I'm not going to get too far into the details, but those who it is their area of expertise, they put LeBron's preparation and intentionality when it comes to his body on a level all his own. So that's first and foremost. Then you've got the level of experience that comes with his ball handling. So that's two and three, right, is the ability to handle the ball. Then, like Darius said, unprecedented longevity as a ball handler in that capacity. The the experience that comes with being a superstar for that long means that he has made the decision that he is about to make. No matter what that decision is in a game, he's made that decision more than anybody else has in NBA history. Because even previous superstars and those post players that you were talking about, I'd even throw Tim Duncan in there. Just the general nature, right? The general nature of who they were at the end of their career. They were more of a role guy on their teams. And LeBron is not, right? LeBron's still in the conversation. And so that there's a level of experience where when LeBron has done whatever it is he's being asked to do in a game, when he's he's done that so many times before it must happen so slow in his mind that's one thing that i noticed from watching him on tape is he's just operating at a half beat slower than everyone else and i mean that as a compliment meaning that everything's just kind of moving slowly around him rondo's the only comparable guy in that respect but he doesn't have the physical tools of course and then the the last part of that is uh is strength strength is always the last thing to go right even last year when he was He'd try to put that that ankle down and jump off of it, and he'd get you know six inches in the air when he tried to explode at the end of the season. That can go that, and that has been reducing over the course of time. But he's still strong as hell, D man, and he can he understands when to bump you and use that strength and physicality in a way that when it's combined with his ball handling, it's kind of similar to Jokic, right? Where like once he's got you sealed, the play is over. And so just a combination of all of those factors, I don't, I'm with Mike in that, like, I don't see it unless there's that ankle is, is a lasting uh, problem. I don't see there being that much reduction because all of those things should still be there. They should be. I would add, too, that there's a baseline level of how great he was. So not all greatness is built the same. We've had, like, those Basketball Gods podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. And the idea of, like, Shaq's power, right? Like, few people could could ever have in the history of the game reached that level of power. Like, maybe Wilt right? As like a comparable guy. When you talk about like Magic Johnson's vision, there is a certain level that he was operating at that made it so that, oh my goodness, like there's really no one quite like him. And LeBron, I would argue that one of the reasons why LeBron is in the conversation for the best player ever is because his baseline level of just all around basketball greatness like the combination of feel and physical traits and and understanding of the game has been at such a high level that drop-offs or or when that starts to diminish you're falling back to the pack that you've been ahead of for such a long time right it's like if you're one of those master marathon runners and you're like oh yeah well I can run a marathon and average a four mile or a four minute and a mile pace for a whole marathon. Well, guess what? If you're so much faster than everyone else, if everyone's been running six minute miles, 
the entire time. You've built up such an advantage that, okay, well, how about for these last five miles, I'm just going to run five minute miles. You're still like, okay, I'm slowing down. They're gaining on me, but I built up such a lead. And that's how I sort of feel about LeBron. The, the thing that you were talking about earlier about his processing speed, Mike, you can speak to this best, I think. You have watched a ton of basketball games from the floor, at floor level. And the way things look from the floor is so different in terms of being able to predict what's going to happen on any given play versus when you're up in like from the regular press seats or like the upper level, right? Because you see the development of things easier when you have that bird's eye view. It's one of the reasons why Chick Hearn, I think, always wanted to continue to call games from that perch because it gave him that extra advantage of just seeing everything develop in a way that allowed him to describe the game so beautifully to fans, right? And LeBron's processing speed is like he is always watching from that Chick Hearn view, even though he's in the middle of the action and on the floor. And it's such a gift that he has that if if there's an argument against any like slippage it's that it's the processing speed it's it's the fact that even as the computer gets older he's got that that M1 chip right if we're talking apple stuff like he's had that forever now and his ability to just go through all of these actions in in his head and sort of see it a beat faster than than everyone else that's what gives him the the advantage and i don't see that going away and darius when when we think about lebron in the bird's eye view i think part of what allows him to be so great is that he can then figure out what part of the game that he needs to bring out in what moment yeah and whether that's rebounding whether that's passing whether it's scoring whether it's help side defense whether it's on the ball defense which those two things we know he has not needed to do as much in the regular season, but watch him when it matters on those types of plays and on, on those types of uh, on the defensive side of the court. But over his career, guys, he's separated between total rebounds and assists in the regular season. I, I just think this is a, a, a funny sort of odd. Well, it's not even a coincidence, right? Because it tells you who he is. So 9,751 total rebounds. 9,696 total assists. So he's separated by 55 uh, rebounds, basically, over the course. So every game that he's ever played. And then just and then I'm just thinking about 9,696 field goals that have gone in off of his off of his passing. And this is not this is we're not even talking about the scoring element of this. And by the way. In game, I think 64-ish, if he averages 25, he can pass Carl Malone for second on the all-time scoring list. So the numbers mm-hmm. just become so overwhelming when you when you put them in whatever kind of context you want. And it's just that the, the, the main point that I think we started with is that the slippage has yet to be there. And even if it comes, even if it's 5%, some of what is baked in with AD and, and Russ now should allow for that. And and that's that's I think the the mindset that I have going into what he's going to be doing this season. Yeah, further to that point, what you said at the beginning about LeBron having the capability to access different parts of his game depending on what the game calls for, I think is going to be super important on this particular team that we've got coming up. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk about year nineteen for LeBron and, and what we think that'll look like. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So in some respects, I think that we should build a lot of what we do around Russell Westbrook and what Russell Westbrook does well, because he is not a shapeshifter the way that LeBron and Anthony Davis are. And LeBron has a brand of versatility that's greater than anyone else's, or he can be a big man, he can be a ball handler, he can be a scorer, he can be a transition player, he can be a passer, he can be whatever you need him to be on both ends of the court to a degree that even Anthony Davis can't quite get to. Russell Westbrook is the most rigid of our stars, though, right? He, if you take him out of what he is comfortable at doing, you can you can find weaknesses in his game, and so that's my thought process in terms of maybe we have to cater to Russ to get the best out of him because LeBron can kind of fit in and be what he needs to be. Darius, I'm curious if you agree with that. That now that's not a binary argument, an either or type of thing, and obviously. We're going to need LeBron to be LeBron. You're not going to ask LeBron to be too different. But I do think that we need to lean on his versatility more than anyone else's because he's the most capable of making what could be an awkward fit into something that really works well together. So this is a fascinating discussion and probably an entire pod all all on itself and not just like a segment within a segment, right? But it's like – and we'll be talking about this, I think, probably the entire season. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's probably the pivot point in which this season either goes down the path towards a championship or something less than that. Mm-hmm. And maybe something much less than that, depending on a variety of factors, including health and a lot of other things. So to a certain extent, I agree. I agree with your evaluation of Russ for sure. I also agree that LeBron's flexibility is going to be super important. What I wonder about is sort of the initial part of what we were talking about on the pod, and that's slippage. And slippage isn't this – like there was an earlier pod, Pete, where you had talked about like defense. And defense is really a thousand things, but we talk about defense right. as like one thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, good you're, on defense. Not, like yeah. you're not good at defense, right? You're right. not good at defense, but there's really – probably areas where you are really good at defense and areas where you're not. And if you have to do the things that you're not as good at, then guess what? You're probably not good on defense and we need to find ways to get you to do the things you're good at more. The areas of slippage that you were talking about with LeBron, they are not mental. 
if anywhere they, they could be, it would be physical. And right. the things that Russ happens to be good at and the way you want to leverage Russ are probably the areas of being physical. Mm-hmm. It's playing fast. It's getting out in transition. It's wreaking havoc. It's creating chaos scenarios where your athleticism and sort of ability to to leverage that athleticism over an opponent most manifests itself and there's an ability to do that at volume right lebron can still do that it's just asking him to shoulder that load over and over and over again without a ton of help is a lot to ask yes and so i I think of a player like Chris Paul, and this isn't a perfect analogy because Chris Paul has played sort of at the same pace almost his entire career, mm-hmm. right? He's always sort of been a slowish guy and and in, in terms of navigating pace of the game. But there were times in the playoffs where I thought he was actively playing too slow for the construct of the Suns as a team. Right. Like, oh, you got Devin Booker and you've got DeAndre Ayton and and you've got Mikhail Bridges and these Mm -hmm. guys sort of get out there and they're athletes. They can get out there and push. And meanwhile, Chris Paul is like, let me put let me put it in second gear and I'm going to navigate this. Right. And I think of LeBron and LeBron also thrives in that we're playing at my pace now. And my pace can be slow. My pace can be blistering. And when it's blistering, you can't keep up. And when it's slow, I outthink you. I'm better than you at playing this. I am the chess master, right? And so Russ, though, Russ wants chaos. Or we want we want chaos for Russ. Because mm-hmm. that's where the <laughs> beauty of Russ's game Come all comes together and he's mm-hmm. snarling and he's dunking in traffic and then it's a deflection and then someone is on the ground and you're like how'd that dude get on the ground and Russ is stepping over that guy and racing to the ball and that's what we want for him I think as Lakers fans because mm-hmm. that probably means that the Lakers are playing their brand of basketball but how often do you want LeBron in that environment too. And so there's, that's the question I'd probably put to you, Mike, is that catering to Russ, it's not just like, okay, well, these are the types of sets that he likes to run or, Hey, let's give him the ball a little bit more and play LeBron off of the ball. I think that stuff, Pete is going to come easy, but in putting it back to you, Mike, there is a part of LeBron's game where I think that, all right, well, can you be, and do we want you to be, the guy who is sort of running around out there at this stage of your career, or do we want a more controlled environment for, for him? And that to me is where the bridge needs to be built on how this team is best going to play. And I'm not saying LeBron can't do it. It's just a bigger ask for him at this stage of his career. And and that's the open question to me at this point, where do you stand with all of that? I think it's a good open question because With Westbrook coming in, there are some things that clearly will help LeBron and the longevity even of the season and basically allow him to have his maximum amount of energy to disperse when needed the most later in the season and in the playoffs. Concurrently, if Westbrook Westbrook is playing how he traditionally has, what does that mean for what the Lakers' style is going to be? which has been much more catered towards and and just built off of Lebr- LeBron and the way that he plays basketball the last couple of years. And AD fits in there in some way, but it's really been more about LeBron and as the driver, as well it should be, as is any team that he's ever been on. So 
what's the balance there, Pete, of of Russ coming in, playing his style, LeBron handing off some of those duties, but not letting it slip so far that the what we've talked about before on the Russ podcast, LeBron is still clearly the best decision maker and the guy that you want to be making the key plays. So that's the thing that I think has to go on throughout the regular season. And I, I also think it's one that has to change some from the regular season to the postseason. And once they get into playoff series, which is easier said than done. So thus the intrigue with the whole LeBron Russ thing. And I think it's overall, I've talked myself into uh, being excited to see how it plays out, but there is, <laughs> there is some, some question there, right? It's just that I'm, I guess it comes back to what I said before about LeBron. I'm still, I have the ultimate trust that he will figure out what the best thing is for the team. And he's not going to, if it's not working, the way that the balance is with Russ, then he'll just tell Russ and take and sort of, he's the one guy maybe that can handle that. And that can just say, Nope, this is how we need to play. Now um, I'm taking mm-hmm. over the reins and, and that may have to happen. Do you guys think there are some lessons to be learned for how it worked in Miami with Wade? Like it's not a perfect one-to-one comp, but you've got this other of course. high volume ball handler, right? Where I think that they were a great transition team. When it came down to it, there was a mix of Wade having the ball and LeBron having the ball. And I think that that has um, that has there's some similarities there. I think you also have the advantage of AD is a more dynamic player than Chris Bosch. Bosch, obviously a great player, but Anthony Davis just has a he's more of a pressure on the rim type of guy. And we've also got some shooters sprinkled in there, too. So like so do, do you I, I I'm answering the question with a question, but. I think that some of this on how it might look and how it could thrive, we can, we can go back even as far as a decade to look at how it did with with LeBron and, and Dwayne Wade. I think that's right. I also think, though, that we then pivot back to our conversation about Russ and how much of that malleability that may exist in this game that we now dismiss because of the rigidity he's shown as a player over the last sort of seven or eight years of his career. Mm-hmm. That idea of Olympic Russ, right, which may be which may be a pipe dream at this point of his career, right? But that that ability to access the cutting, that ability to access some of the off-ball work, that ability to access a bit more of the disruptive defensive presence that he really hasn't shown in his most recent stops, right? Like at his the tail end of his OKC years and the years with Houston. And 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 Harden, and then last season with with the Wizards, we know that Russ is capable of some of these these things, but we've almost sort of stopped asking for it because he stopped showing us that he wanted to do it. Right? It, it's it's like when you're in a long time marriage and you're like, okay, well, my partner really doesn't like to do the dishes, so guess what? I'm going to do the dishes. Right? And my partner loves to vacuum, and I don't. And so you find those compromises in life, and then that's that. Right? And so. In this new in this new partnership between Russ and LeBron, I think Mike's right in that LeBron is the level of player that is both senior to Russ, right? Like Russ and Harden were contemporaries, right? If there was ever like they won MVP in back-to-back years, like they were guys where it's just like, you're not telling me anything that I don't know. LeBron can look at every single player in the league square in their face and say, like, I've got something on you. I am this era's best player. No one is telling me anything, right? 
And I think in in the large scheme of things, that matters in relationship building. And it matters in terms of setting a hierarchy that every team needs, I feel like, in order to play their best. Everyone sort of needs to know where their position is, even if you're an Anthony Davis who, hey, I'm just as good as you. Like I'm using quotation marks here, right? Like I'm just as good as you. I'm Anthony Davis. I think Russ has always had the ability to say, I'm just as good as you. I'm Russell Westbrook. But no one, maybe Kevin Durant, right? But no one can really look at LeBron square in the face and say, I'm just as good as you. And there's no quote marks there. I really am. Right. And so I think that comes back to what we are asking of the other players around LeBron and how LeBron takes the leadership back when it's time to take it back. And that sort of transfer of power within within the scope of a team dynamic, that is where I think LeBron's leadership is going to be most needed and most tested. And I don't mean tested like it's like it's not going to happen or it's going to be difficult because I don't know how that's going to to play out but it is a challenge i think in a way that he hasn't had to really face since maybe that last year with Kyrie where it's just like oh you're a guy who is a little bit stubborn you're a guy who needs the ball you're a guy who and when you combine that with lebron's age and how his game is changing how does that all work mike like i think these are fascinating questions to me it's not a question about talent it's a matter of how do we make it all work and i think that's the great lakers experiment this season yeah let me take the kyrie one because kyrie mentally in in terms of his own self-belief and self-confidence i think there there is an apt comparison with westbrook a couple of differences though Mm -hmm. so Russ does seem to have by Pete, I I think of the Royce Young podcast that we had. And he said that Russ is not stubborn in that context. Like he is self-aware. He just believes that a certain way that he plays and he has played on the teams that he's been on um, has been the optimal one. But whereas Kyrie, sometimes it seems like he can, if he thinks something, that's what he thinks, except that his game did compliment LeBron. Uh, in the way in the way that they played together. And so Kyrie also has a much different type of game where he could play off the ball more. He could you know just spread the floor with the shooting. Whereas, you know, Russ, so th- this to me is what's the melding of the mental for Kyrie and Westbrook and the physical and what their abilities are. And I think that it's the physical characteristics that are going to be more of an issue um, that and, and I don't I shouldn't say issue, but the thing that how does how does that fit when neither one of these guys is an elite shooter just like LeBron and Dwayne Wade but they have their elite areas that does take some time on the court to figure out as compared to some a guy that could be a little bit stubborn minded and this is the way that I want the ball it's my team give me the basketball but has a a different skill set enough where that they can obviously um, work and then just to add LeBron and AD it's it's just been the perfect on both sides right personalities fit off the court on the court games on the court off the court like all that stuff was seamless from day one to me, the basketball part with LeBron and Russ just takes a little bit of time like it did with Wade. Yeah, it's I'm with you that the how is more of a question to me than the if and if there's going to be a power struggle or a struggle. Because what you're talking about, Darius, is who is controlling the team at any given moment? And there can be transfers, right? Is, is that a correct characterization? Yes, but I don't want to make it seem like that's like confrontational. No, no, no. no. It's just like, is it like, is it like, no, the, but, is it if, like two examples, just see if, if you guys are with me. So like Zion and Ingram 
in New Orleans, you know, who's or Jalen Brown yeah. and Jason Tatum uh, in Boston, like a little bit more of a it's not even necessarily just an alpha thing, but both guys kind of do believe that they're sure. you know, and, and they're more ascending. And, and they should. Yeah, as well. They sh- as well. They should to an extent, although I think for the betterment of the team that has to be ironed out. Or it's not going to work like it didn't work in New Orleans last year. And I think at Boston it will, but like Brown's got to take a step back. I digress. Uh, back, to, back to you, Pete. Well, but part of it is because part of the difference is their difference in age and place in their career. You could have just as easily been describing young Russell Westbrook and young Kevin Durant and having to figure out that dynamic. When you're a little bit older, there is a sense of perspective and there's a sense of knowing – what it's all about and having a sense of what is important to you. What have I accomplished in my career? What do I, what do I want this to be? And you've seen a bunch of different versions of what it is. Your Jason Tatum's Jalen Brown's Zion BI, all of those guys are establishing themselves. Russell Westbrook is, he has established himself. LeBron James, obviously, right? And so that doesn't mean that there can't ever be any clashes of ego or anything like that. But they they met up like this was an intentional thing to get yeah. Russ to L.A., right? Let's They came together and said, let's do this. And so there's already a degree of informed consent, right, of what this is going to be. And so now it's more of a question of the how than the if they're going to clash. And so I'm curious, Dee, I'd love to hear your, your further thoughts on that, but also the on-court stuff of what, how will it look? What will it look like on the floor and that transfer of control and that balance of power, not in a confrontational way, but in terms of who controls just the ebb and flow of the on-court action? So I think that a lot of this conversation can be informed about how LeBron played with Dennis Schroeder last season. So Dennis and Russ, while Russ is a much more look, Russ is a Hall of Famer. Dennis Schroeder's not going to be a Hall of Famer unless something drastically changes in the second half of his career, right? And so I don't want to compare apples to apples here as if um, the talent's the same, but the type of player that both those guys are in terms of attack mentality, in 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 terms of like have typically tried to be high volume scorers in their career as lead ball ball handlers there are some similarities there and overlap within the Venn diagram right mm-hmm. and, and so I thought LeBron and I think LeBron's partnership with Dennis last season can inform a little bit of how things work with Russ this season and I thought LeBron and Dennis were pretty good together in terms of managing that transfer of power and the ways in which I was maybe disappointed with how things went with Dennis last season, which were much more about like the idiosyncrasies of his specific game rather than, oh, like he's clashing with LeBron as a secondary high volume lead ball handler. That's why I was saying, I don't think it's necessarily conflict here. I think it's sort of on the court, that idea of when I don't what I don't want it to look like is your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. All right. OK, well, you've had three straight. It's my turn now. Right. It's sort of when LeBron and Wade were working at their best. All of that was seamless. It was all within the flow of the game. And everyone sort of seemed to have this strong sense about about how things were going to go on any given possession and, and that 
the relationship that was at one point a little bit like, hey, okay, this is how we're going to do something for you. And this is how we're going to do something for me. And we can make all of that look okay. But does it, is it flow? Does it flow the way that you want it to flow on the basketball court? Right. It's like, it's like the difference between football and basketball here. Right. It's just like, okay, well, I haven't run a slant for this guy in five or six plays. So we're just going to run a slant for him now. Right. And, And just so he gets a touch. And, and I feel like basketball shouldn't work like that. Like it does sometimes, but the best versions of the game don't. The best versions of the game is just like it's it's organic, it's natural, and bridging that gap, Mike. To me, I I didn't answer your question, Pete, about how like the how of that because I don't know the how. I like I honestly don't. I I think it's really just going to come down to how quickly do their games mesh? How quickly are they on the same page? How often do they see the game the same way? Like how quickly does does that happen? If it happens at all, I'm. I'm bullish on it happening because a they're two high level players and I think they're high level thinkers of the game even though we don't often talk about Russ that way but we also didn't talk about Anthony Davis that way but we should because he's that talented and you don't get to be that good just by being a run and jump athlete and, and so Mike like wh- where are you at with 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 all of this because I think this is a fascinating discussion overall ab- about LeBron and then Russ well, first of all, did you want to get an 80s NFL reference in for the slant? Like, you know, Montana hit, hit Rice 10 times a game, but then he noticed that, like, Taylor was a little bit upset about yeah, it. Yeah, you know, John Taylor. He's okay. my language. Yeah. Okay, okay. All right, just, just checking. John yes. Taylor with the best – one of the best stiff arms of all time. Yeah. I was at a game in – this was 1989. I think I was a kid. I grew up as a Niner fan, but growing up in L.A., I'd see him – we'd see them whenever they came down to play in Anaheim, right, with the Rams. And – there was a Monday night football game where John Taylor caught two 90 plus yard touchdowns and I was, and both of them were like on sl- quick slant routes, exactly where he got like 90 yards after the catch. One was like 98. The other was 92. Anyhow, shout yeah. out to John Taylor, all time, great punt returner and very good. Fire and second mobile. Yeah, Mike too. too is, it's also like, okay, well, you know, we haven't thrown it to Roger Craig in the flat lately. Okay. Right. Brent, Pete, or Brent like Jones. Brent Jones hasn't gotten his wow. touch. Got you. Right. You guys so, are, look, Look, I'm OG when it comes to this stuff, even though I wasn't a Niner guy. So so I got it all. It, it's all up here. It's like, it really yeah. is. Anyways, Mike, go on, yeah, please. So I think that it's a, an appropriate way to look at it, though. And when in that case, so take – I guess I could make a more modern reference. But we're, since we're talking about Joe Montana, most people know who that is. He's doing that for a reason in part because it helps him too. And this is part of what LeBron had in mind, right, to bring Russ in. So I think it's a different thing when when the investment of the person that is most important to making it work is there and it's clearly there. And we're seeing every time you go on Lakers Instagram lately, right, it's LeBron and Russ working out together at the facility. LeBron and Russ riding in the car together to AD's wedding. By the way, Darius, I didn't I didn't see you yet. You were in the back, right? At the wedding. Because I didn't see you in the in the prominent <laughs> pictures. No, I unfortunately I was not. And that there. wasn't a flex. I was, I not, was there. not there. Okay, that was not a flex. I was that that was a that was just a joke. So LeBron being into this to me is the most important thing. And I think we know that Westbrook um is excited about this and engaged in it. So that to me, and it's part of what Pete said about the stage of career thing, I think it's the same argument that these guys know basketball well enough to want to make it work. 
typically for me, the stuff that does not work as well is when either there's the alpha battle or one player wants to go somewhere else or one player was traded into a situation that they did not want necessarily to be in. And it's not just that simple. There are examples of guys, hey, we should play together and it just doesn't work out. But those are fewer and far between from the ones where both guys seem to have the same thought that this could work and therefore they're invested in making it work. I had one last thing just about LeBron because you, you know, we really are talking about like, look, this is going to be year 19 for him and navigating all of this is most guys at the end of their career, like, like LeBron is, they are role guys. They are sort of like, all right, like the asks are less for you. And this season, I feel like the la- the ask is even more for LeBron. If not physically, maybe, then mentally. It's like, hey, make it work. Like, go to a different style of play than the one that you kind of just won a championship with where you were the lead and only guy. And to Mike's point, I think he invited this. He wanted some of this because he he is sort of that that I see the entire chessboard and I do need a little bit more. But he's inviting some of this. And, and so I just kind of wanted to bounce that idea to both of you. And like, where do you see it going this year with like LeBron and just I invited this. But just because you invite something doesn't necessarily always mean it's going to go the way that you envision it going. And so do you see there being more hiccups than maybe he might have thought there could be? Probably. There are probably going to be some hiccups in areas where he wasn't expecting. But in inviting that, he must have thought it out. Right. Like, yeah. how would that it, for all that we've done? And it's funny that we spent our time talking about LeBron in the context of Russell Westbrook, right? Like yeah. Westbrook's introduction is such a, a massive, he's such a massive figure that a lot of the pods that we've done this off season about players have been in contrast with how do they fit with Russell Westbrook? How does that look in this style of play? So in inviting that and LeBron knows better than we do the player that Russell Westbrook is. He must have thought about it quite a bit and have a certain plan in going into it. That's one of the, my favorite parts. And that what I'm most curious about this season is what is that plan? What does it look like? Where does it work? Where does it not? And in terms, Mike, of how it's going to look this year, the question, the, the answer to that is right now we don't know. And I think that the regular season is going to be a wonderful testing ground for, oh, this works, this little action, this little two-man game, this weak side screen, this worked, but that didn't. It's going to be a, a, a testing ground for all of that. And I think that that's where LeBron can actually find some fun in the regular season in year 19 of what does it mean to play with Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis? And we got these shooters and uh, just a totally different style of play. In some ways, it's very invigorating, I believe. The last thing that I was thinking, at least for now, about LeBron in this season is about the three-point line. And part of this has to do with Russell Westbrook coming as well. But as with many players, because threes across the league go up, and this is an obvious point, but LeBron's have risen uh, since he got to L.A., right? So going like in 15-16, he's at 3.7. And skipping two years to 17-18, he's at 5.0. Last year um, and 19-20, same exact attempt, 6.3 uh, per game, which almost eerie, like exactly 6.3, and he made 2.2. 
1920, he made 2.3 in 2021. And so that right there is the difference between 34.8% and 35, uh, 36.5%. It's the same thing I always say where this is such a dumb argument about three-point percentage where if he hits 10 more, all of a sudden he's at 39%. We're like, what an amazing three-point shooter. So I think he's going to get more open looks because of Russ and the pressure that he puts on the rim. And it also, that's just in its own right with the math, can take some miles off if he shoots it more. And I, I generally would prefer, if I had to pick between two things, LeBron going to the rim or LeBron shooting threes, of course I'll take LeBron going to the rim. I'm just interested to see how much that kind of spacing that the Lakers kind of need from that spot ends up falling into LeBron's hands to some extent. And maybe that allows him to, to get into a really nice rhythm from that range uh, that impacts the team in a couple different ways for the duration of the season into the playoffs. Yeah, and I think this speaks to your point, Pete, about the diversity of LeBron's game. LeBron, LeBron's game isn't going to evolve. I think that he's just going to lean on different aspects of, of his game in order to complement the guys that he is playing with and when needed, take on more in any given area that he thinks is going to impact the game most. And there's no player in the league, really, I trust more to make those possession to possession decisions and those more long term decisions over the course of an entire season and into the playoffs than than LeBron. He deserves if no other benefit of the doubt, he deserves that benefit of the doubt that he is a, a true thinker of the game and a thinker of the big picture when it comes to optimizing and maximizing his team's chances of winning. It should be fascinating. I think the idea of him shooting would be that would he showed some chops in that respect last season uh, at the beginning, and then we kind of lost a lot of ball handlers. He had to absorb more more of those responsibilities. I suspect that that is an area where he will look to really uh, zero in on this season is his spot up shooting ability to shoot off screens. He's capable. And I think that that is part of the mosaic of how this will look on the floor. Very fascinated to see what year 19 looks like. Uh, we've got one more pod coming up in this off season tomorrow. It'll be our final thoughts on the off season, but until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. A lot of Laker fans well, sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, listen. Brian, unbelievable. For the record, it's over. Shot clock now to five. Brian. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.